This is Chris Brooks. Thank you for listening to this edition of Equip. Be sure and subscribe for free so that you don't miss an episode. For more information, visit our website, equipradio.org. Well, hey there, friends. Welcome to another exciting edition of Equip with Chris Brooks. I'm so grateful that you've joined us today. Can you do me a favor? Strap on your seatbelt. We're going to navigate through the contours of culture, as always, with the lens of the biblical worldview on. But before we do that, let me remind you, this is the day that the Lord has made. He has given it as a gift so that you and I can rejoice and be glad in it. So let's do just that. Let's follow the words of the Apostle Paul. Let's rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. With that, I welcome you into what will be a very interactive edition of Equip. Phone number is 877-548-3675. Today, I want to talk about a topic that is difficult and tough, but yet one that is essential for us to uh, be healthy. When I say the names uh, James McDonald or Bill Hybels or Mark Driscoll, what comes to mind? Well, if you're a Christian and you've been around church world for uh, the last uh, decade or so, probably what comes to mind, unfortunately, are two words, and that is spiritual abuse. Uh, Leaders who are known for being heavy-handed or harsh or even domineering in their leadership style. But yet, I would be in error if I told you that this was restricted to just a small handful of high-profile or prominent pastors. The fact of the matter is, is that uh, more recent revelations have revealed that uh, this is more widespread and the problem is far more pervasive than what we first suspected and maybe and than what we even want to admit. I spent a lot of time on this program highlighting um, the, uh, the, the fallenness of our culture and that, and, and that the gospel is the only answer for what ails a sin-sick world. But the fact of the matter is, is that Judgment must first begin in the household of faith, in the house of the Lord. And we have to uh, do our own self-evaluation and to ask ourselves, what are we doing to contribute maybe to the problem unknowingly and knowingly? And how do we produce pastors who are known for caring well for their spiritual family, even more than how great of a speaker they are, author they are, or intellect they are? But we're going to talk about that and much more with Dr. Michael Kruger. Uh, Mike is the president and Samuel C. Patterson, professor of New Testament and early Christianity at Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte, North Carolina. He's also a prominent scholar on the origins and development of the New Testament canon. He is uh, a husband to Melissa. He's also a father to three just south of perfect children. Mike, how are you today, brother? Hey, Chris. Good to be back with you. It is good to be with you as well. I do want to just kind of preface this. You know, when you talk about any form of abuse, and spiritual abuse is no different, you recognize that there's a myriad of people who are listening who have experienced it firsthand, who uh, have the wounds to prove it, who carry with them uh, the, um, the heaviness of soul, that comes from living through those situations. I also recognize the sensitivity of a moment like this in a national audience, that there may be many who are going through it right now. So I want to first speak with sensitivity and to also set forward uh, at the very beginning that our goal is, as always, to add more light than heat 
It's not simply for entertainment purposes that we come to have this conversation. It is to actually help the church to get healthy and help those who have experienced spiritual abuse to experience healing. So with that preface, Mike, again, thank you for joining me. Most people know you, I know you, as a New Testament scholar. This is kind of new territory for you, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, your, your, your listeners may know me for writing books on canon and text and sort of the origins and reliability of the Bible, but they may not realize I'm also a seminary president. And as a seminary president, we think a lot about leadership around here and the kind of leaders that we want to produce. And I also look out in the world and I see the kind of leaders the church is producing. And over the last three or four years, I've just gotten more and more concerned about the trajectory we're on. And it's not just the high-profile cases. You mentioned some of those in the intro it's also cases I've seen in my own circles. Um, I think anybody who's been around the church very long sees this trend. And uh, it was sort of one of those books where I felt sort of obligated to write it. It's not a book I really wanted to write. No one likes to sure. write a book like this. But it felt like uh, it needed to be talked about and talked about perhaps by people who can speak into the leadership world. Well, I want to thank you for it and uh, for uh, the courage to confront the problem. And, again, it is easy for us as believers, followers of Christ, to look at the world, the brokenness of the world around us, and to say that the world needs to be reconciled to Jesus. But we also are called to declare the truth at all times, and that even means concerning the flaws of of the church, the bride of Christ. Let's start by defining spiritual abuse, because uh, for many that may be a new term. We know about physical abuse or even uh, the, the devastation of sexual abuse, but what about spiritual abuse? What is it? Yeah, well, this has been a large conversation over the last few years, especially with the rise and fall of Mars Hill and others, to try to define it. I work hard in my book to go really deep into the weeds on this. The the short definition, and you hinted at it in the opening, is that spiritual abuse basically is when there's a spiritual leader who's over uh, God's people at some level with authority that wields that authority in such a way that they domineer, bully, uh, are treating harshly and in a heavy-handed way those under their care. So when, when you hear that, you're thinking, well, yes, not only do we have high-profile cases that we know where people do that to their flocks, but the Bible actually is filled with numerous stories of bad shepherds who uh, do that and mistreat those under their care. So spiritual abuse is a modern term, but the concept is very old. And it, it arguably from the dawn of time due to the fall, humans have lorded it over other humans in, in, in inhumane ways. And unfortunately, that's even in the church, and that's what we mean by spiritual abuse. What, what's so unique, in your opinion, Mike, about spiritual abuse that makes it so devastating for people and for churches? Yeah, this is at the heartbeat of what I tried to accomplish in the book. And for those who've been through it, they understand the devastation. The core uh, sort of harm of spiritual abuse is that the very person who was sort of ordained by God to care and shepherd and gently lead his people is the very person who harms and hurts and mistreats uh, uh, those same people. And so what happens is you begin to, to distrust God. You begin to distrust the church. You're hurt by the very thing that you love and respect has now begun to destroy your life. And so there's an analogy here to child abuse. So if you think about child abuse, it's not just the physical injuries of child abuse that are the problem. It's the fact that the person doing it is supposed to be the very person that's supposed to love and care and protect you. And when the person who's supposed to love and care and protect you is the one that harms you, that makes you question so many things in life, the goodness of God, the goodness of the church, and really uh, the truth of Christianity. 
You know, we uh, have talked a little bit, uh, Mike, about the uh, the culture uh, of this day. But what is it about authority, leadership, that maybe the modern-day church, and I'll just kind of restrict my question to the West because I'm not as familiar about other parts of the world. But in Western culture, what have we misunderstood that maybe has produced the environment where these types of leaders are more prevalent? Yeah, I've thought long and hard about that, and I think there's a lot of answers to it. Um, I'll mention a couple thoughts. One answer, I think, is the cultural moment we're in. We are at a point where the church has been uh, disregarded by our culture, attacked by our culture, and the authority of the church has been disrespected by our culture. And all that's true, and we can see that all around us. Unfortunately, though, there's, there can be a reaction to that. Because there's this anti-authority culture we're in, some people feel the obligation, if they're in Christian ministry, to sort of prove or demonstrate that we're not going to succumb to the spirit of the age. So there's a, there's a desire to, in one sense, wield your authority more firmly, more strictly, more plainly, in order to sort of show, hey, we're not going to follow that cultural path. And so I think there's an overreaction, actually, um, to the cultural noise we're getting. And I think the church sometimes tries to clamp down harder. The other thing that leads to this sort of personality in the pulpit is, I think, also the age you're in is an age of what you might call church competition, church growth, try to make your church the greatest. People who have that mentality often think the way you make your church the greatest is you get a franchise player just like a sports team would, right? You get your LeBron James or whatever, and you build your team around him, and you, you get your superstar. That has created a lot of problems for the church. It's the superstar mentality that leads to the narcissistic uh, leader. Yeah, and I think, Ted, so often uh, success is measured by uh, numbers and uh, quantitative measures instead of qualitative measures. You you bring this out as well, and, and it almost uh, creates a classism within leadership where those mm-hmm. who may be faithful – over a ministry that uh, is honoring God, caring well for their congregations, but maybe not larger in the number uh, numbers that they uh, lead or produce are looked down upon, and, and it uh, elevates those who are. Let, let's just talk about social media. What do you say to the person who says, uh, "Yeah, Mike, this is this this whole thing of spiritual abuse is simply a social media phenomenon." that it wasn't until the age of Twitter that we were seeing these types of things. What is your response? Yeah, so um, I've thought about this quite a bit, and in my research I, I, I've asked the question, is, is spiritual abuse more prominent now, or is our awareness of spiritual abuse more prominent now? Yeah. Um, mainly, mainly due to the social media um, exposure. And at, at the end of the day, I don't think we know. We, we just don't have enough data to know whether it's actually statistically increased or whether it's just our awareness that's increased. My response to that, though, is twofold. One is, let's imagine it's not increased. Even if our awareness is what's new, once you become aware of a problem, we're, we're morally obligated to address that problem. And I think under, under God and under Christ, we want to make sure the church is, is, is heading in the right direction. So even if we just became aware of it, at a more poignant way, we're still, I think, obligated to respond to it. And then the second thing I'd say, I do think, and I don't have any hard data for this, I do think there's an increase. And this is just my own anecdotal sort of gut instinct, just looking around at, 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 in the way I see the, the, the leaders that are being produced out there. 
Um, I don't have any stats to back that up, but I think we were li- living in a cultural moment where we're tending to build up and attract that type of personality. And I think unless the church corrects course, we're just going to see more and more of these cases going forward. Uh, I want to get into where the blame lies in a moment, but before we get into all of that, Mike, what's your hope for those who pick up your book and read it? Yeah, so I wrote my book uh, as a Christian leader to Christian leaders, and so it might be useful for the audience to know I didn't I didn't write it to abuse victims in, in, in terms of how to heal, although I've had a lot of abuse victims read it and already have sent me tons of emails saying how grateful they are for it and how helpful it's been. But mainly I'm trying to get the church to be aware of the problem and how to spot it and how to stop it. So my prayer is that pastors, elders, Christian leaders will get this in the hands of their church staff, uh, that they will read it themselves, and they begin to have it on their radar. Um, It's not that different than the way sexual abuse has has come on the radar in the last 30 or 40 years where it was not uh, before that. And that's a good awareness, and we need that same awareness as it pertains to spiritual abuse. I'm an elder at my local church, and I'm grateful that you've written this uh, because all of us need to, uh, again, do a self-assessment. And uh, we're going to get to the culpability or responsibility of leaders and elders in the local church. But I would be thrilled if there were pastors and leaders and elders who listen to us right now who uh, felt compelled to say, I want to read this. And some, you'll respond because you are in the throes of it and you're suspicious of it right now. Others uh, will say, I want to do this in a preventative way. And what a joy that would be, Mike, to have Mm -hmm. people who say we're not just responding to crises or complaint, but we want to be proactive in understanding spiritual abuse and preventing spiritual abuse. It is devastating to the faith of um, many when a leader uh, operates from a place of, uh, of abuse, heavy-handedness, harshness, domineering, and abusive ways. And so Mike has written this book for us and for our hearts, uh, and I believe the Lord has led him to do so. The phone number to join the conversation is 877-LIVE-675. That's 877 548 3675. A couple of groups of people that I would love to invite to call. If you are currently in church leadership, and maybe you have a question about whether what are the signs, or even more importantly, how do we respond if we see it, if we know that uh, there's spiritual abuse happening, or maybe akin to that, how do we prevent it? You want to dial that number 877 548 36 75. Maybe your question is, how do I help my church leaders? I'm not in leadership myself. Uh, I'm a lay person at my church, but I still want to help and be a benefit. Praise God for that. 877-548-3675. The book is entitled Bully Pulpit, Confronting the Problem of Spiritual Abuse in the Church by Dr. Michael Kruger. Find out how to order at equipradio.org. That's EquipRadio.org. We'll be right back, right after this. Most Americans celebrate Christmas and are familiar with the nativity scene. But when it comes to actually believing the story of the birth of Christ, many people are skeptical. Maybe you're one of them. I want to equip you with a book that provides compelling evidence for the biblical account of Jesus' birth. It's entitled, Is Christmas Unbelievable? We'll send you a copy with your supportive equip this month. 
Just call 888-644-4144 or go to EquipRadio.org. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. Calls are coming in uh, from around the country about spiritual abuse. How do we identify it? How do we respond to it? How do we prevent it proactively? And in some ways, that's sad and heartbreaking, but it's an acknowledgement of the problem. But I, I, I'm grateful that the Lord has um, placed upon the heart of men like uh, Mike Kruger to write uh, books like Bully Pulpit to help us to navigate through this uh, very, very difficult uh, and painful topic. Mike, um, what was the toughest thing, uh, most difficult aspect of writing this book for you? Yeah, I think um, the most difficult thing was hearing the, the personal stories of those who had been abused. You know, it's one thing to uh, to think about it theoretically. It's even another thing to think about it biblically, working through the text of the Bible, which I did that too. But to actually hear the story, and, and often, and many of the stories I heard were in person, um, from people who've experienced this, to see the tears in their eyes, you, you just get a whole another level of, of awareness of how how harmful it is. And so I think th- those were difficult things, and it's, it's just hard to sit through that. Um, it's, it's emotionally and spiritually exhausting. But it's also motivating. That's why I wrote the book, and I, and I hope to see less and less people in that situation as a result. Let's go to Tabitha. She's listening in Georgia. Hey, Tabitha, thank you so much for listening to Equip. What's your question for Mike? <clears throat> My question is, I've been looking for a church up here in Calhoun, Georgia, and um, there's not very many, um, well, there's a lot of churches, but a lot of them are traditional Baptist, and then you've got your uh, Methodist and, you know, Catholic and all that. Um, But my question is, I've been going to this one church, just started going, been there twice now, and um, I really love the music, I really love the preaching of the word, um, I'm enjoying it, um, but it's video church, and um, I've been told that there's six different locations that have all these churches are um, listening to the same pastor at the sure. head loca- you know, head location. Sure. Well, let's talk about this, Mike, because I think that Tabitha brings up an interesting kind of a sub question and that is inherently are you from your research uh warning or concerned about ministry style approach doctrinal realities or uh even um uh, denominational realities are are those things coming to bear in your research yeah, they are, and she, you know, she raises the question about you know video church, and that's a larger and and you know more detailed question that sure. we can get into here. But I think what she's really trying to get at is how do we think about churches that build the entire ministry around a single individual, um, where your everything is sort of centered on one person, and and this is really tough because there's a lot of churches that uh, uh, God has really used that individual um, to do uh, amazing things, and there's nothing wrong with with that individual using their gifts. But I do warn about this in the church. We've got to be very careful how we put people forward in the church in, in, a, in a fashion where they could become a so-called celebrity pastor and people rally around them in such a way that they, they give them the type of devotion that's probably not always healthy. And then when problems come, this is the, this is the, this is the issue, 
when problems come, no one's willing to consider it because they're famous and because they're so influential. And we've got to protect ourselves from that by making sure those leaders have real accountability and a structure around them. I appreciate your call, Tabitha. Why don't you stay on the line as well? I want to get you a complimentary copy of Michael's book. Again, the book is entitled Bully Pulpit, Confronting the Problem of Spiritual Abuse in the Church. Mike, let's talk a little bit before we go back to the cause on uh, culpability, responsibility. And there's three groups I love for you to speak to because I think one of the part of the beauty of your book is that it does not simply lay, if you will, blame at the feet of just one person or one group. You think about it in a very uh, thorough, nuanced way. So let's start with the leader themselves. To what extent are leaders to blame for uh, spiritual abuse? Well, I think, as you put it, there's multiple layers of, of, of accountability here that we need to acknowledge. And certainly the abusive leader himself has accountability before God. <laughs> you know, they've been called by God to gently shepherd the flock. When they, didn't, when they don't do that and they harm the flock, they need to, to acknowledge that harm, repent of that harm, and in certain cases probably have disqualified themselves uh, from ministry. So there's certainly culpability there. But one of the things that I, I put out in the book is that the problem with spiritual abuse isn't about single individuals. It's about a, it's about a system. Yes. It's about a structure in many churches that, that allow it to happen and even defend the abusive leader. Um, and this is the, 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 the structure I mentioned a moment ago with the whole celebrity pastor world, uh, where, where, yeah, there's some pastors that want to be celebrities, but there's also some churches that want there to be celebrities. <laughs> and so they look yes. for someone who can be famous, who can put them on the map, and then that person has got such power, there's no way to hold them accountable. So churches and elder boards need to realize they, too, are accountable for ho- holding that leader to godly standards, and if they fail to do that and don't protect their flock, that they have to answer, you know, ultimately to God for such for such things. So let me ask the same question, maybe in a different way. What advice or wisdom, based off of your research, your years of training leaders, would you give to a leader on how to guard their own heart from becoming a um, a abusive pastor? Oh yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, I think one of the telltale signs of abusive leadership is, you know, a what we what we call sort of a debris field of broken relationships behind that person, mm. or years and years and years of destroyed lives that usually are unreconciled. So the first thing I'd ask that individual is, is that true of you? You know, have, are you honestly looking back over your track record of, track record of ministry, and, and do you see that debris field of, of broken lives? Now that doesn't mean that that ministries don't ever have conflict. Of course they do. We're not talking about a, a conflict-free ministry as if it's perfect. But that's different than, than this sort of, you know, uh, row of bodies behind somebody. And th- the other thing I would say to leaders is that if, if that's true, you need to go to people in your life that are going to really speak truth to you, not just tell you what you want to hear, not just mm-hmm. puff you up, but are really going to speak truth for you. And if you don't have someone in your life like that, that's, that's the problem right there. You need to find people who are willing to, to talk with you frankly about what they see happening. Third thing I would say is go to the people you're, you're, that are under you. Ask them for an honest appraisal of, of your leadership without fear of retaliation, um, and you'd be surprised what you'll hear. All right, let's go back to the phone lines. Yvette is listening in Florida. Yvette, thank you for listening. What's your question for Mike? Uh, yes, briefly, dealing with um, what you're speaking about, have you um, had an occasion to have to deal with um, suicide of uh, pastors or people who are under their their church leadership or any thoughts of 
suicide, you know, thoughts in their mind. Thank you for your question, Yvette. And and maybe I'll broaden a little bit, Mike, and say uh, mental health. Uh, how does this play yeah. into the whole conversation? Oh yeah, this is this is her question is right on. With all the the victims of abuse that that I've uh, done my research on, many of which are pastors themselves, I might add under the senior pastor or staff members under the senior pastor, and then sometimes they're just church members. But those, the emotional damage that they've experienced leads to all kinds of things. It leads to anxiety, leads to, you know, PTSD-type syndromes. It often leads to severe depression, which can have physical manifestations everywhere from sort of, you know, uh, heart-related problems, high blood pressure, lack of sleep, insomnia, and yes, there are instances where some of that gets so bad that, like anybody with severe depression, suicidal uh, tendencies can be part of the part of the equation. So yeah, the, the 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 spiritual damage is real, and this is one of the points of the book: is that if pastors and Christian leaders can just absorb even ten percent of that, I think the compassion uh, and empathy for the situation hopefully will go up considerably. I should have said at the beginning uh, of this conversation that. We also want to create a safe place for folks to call anonymously because uh, there are some who may not feel comfortable calling in on the air and stating their name or the city or town that they're from, and that is fair enough. What's most important for for me, my team, our hearts here is to create a safe place for you to be able to get the, uh, the, the guidance, biblical guidance, the hope and healing that you need. And hopefully, and I believe this is Mike's heart as well, for you to understand what spiritual abuse is so that we can dismantle this system that's producing it and uh, have greater testimonies of healthier churches. Michael Kruger is my guest. Dr. Kruger has written a wonderful book, Bully Pulpit, Confronting the Problem of Spiritual Abuse in the Church. I want to encourage you, take advantage of this break to get a copy of Mike's book. Also, if we've been a blessing to you, I encourage you to stand with us with your generous year-end tax-deductible gift. On the other side of that generosity, lives are being changed and the gospel is being spread. Go to EquipRadio.org. We'll be right back. On Equip, we tackle the tough issues, and there sure have been many this past year. But we continue to confront them with the relevant biblical truth of the gospel. As we turn to a new year, will you join our Christ-centered approach by becoming an AutoGift monthly partner? Keep Equip on the air in your community and across the nation. Your $30, $50, or $85 a month gift will make a huge difference in this new year. Equip yourself and make a difference for Christ and his kingdom at the same time by calling 888-644-4144 or go to equipradio.org. Hey there, friends. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. You know, as we approach the end of yet another year, we celebrate God's faithfulness and goodness to us in each and every day. We also ask that you would help us to finish the year strong by meeting our budgetary goal, your generosity allows us to be able to equip Christians to more effectively live, share, and defend their faith. So here's what I would love to do. Maybe you're listening and you say, God has been good to me every day this year. I would ask that you would consider a dollar a day gift. Can you give a gift of $365? I wonder if there are 10 friends who could do that today. What a blessing that would be in helping us to finish 
the year strong and uh, financially and fiscally responsible. I want to make sure that we always have that testimony. And so if you have the testimony like I do of the faithfulness of God, and every day I would encourage you to uh, maybe reflect on that. There's no magical formula behind that number, but maybe there's a testimony in your heart in your heart of God's faithfulness. Consider that dollar a day gift. Call the number now, 888-644-4144. That's 888-644-4144. Today we're talking to Dr. Michael Kruger, author of the book Bully Pulpit. Confronting the problems of spiritual, of the problem rather, of spiritual abuse in the church. Dr. Kruger has written a book that I think is a must read for this hour. If you're a church leader, if you are a church planter, if you are an aspiring pastor, or maybe you are simply one who has been privileged to be a mentor or a source of counsel to other leaders, I would encourage you get a copy of the book, Bully, Pul- Bully Pulpit. Find out more at our website, equipradio.org. Going to go back to the phone lines. We have an anonymous caller calling from Idaho. Thank you for calling. What's your question for Dr. Kruger? Um, thank you. Um, I missed the beginning half of the the show, and could I get a, a definition of spiritual abuse? Yeah, Mike, do you mind restating that? Yeah, happy to do it. Yeah, I cover this in my book extensively, but the short definition is that spiritual abuse is when there's a spiritual leader that, that has spiritual authority over God's people at some level who wields that authority in such a way that that person ends up being harsh, domineering, heavy-handed, uh, and uh, mistreats those who are under their care. Uh, and, you know, as I said in the beginning, the Bible's filled with stories of bad shepherds who do exactly this. And so the term spiritual abuse is modern, but the concept, I would argue, is there from the dawn of time as people wield their authority in harmful ways. Thank you. Yes, that's better than what I found on Google when I typed it in. Um, I had terrible definitions on Google, and I... Um, so I picked up this book, um, David Johnson and Jeff Vander Vonderen, Recognizing and Excusing mm-hmm. Spiritual Manipulation and False Spiritual Authority Within the Church. Yes. Do you, would you recommend that book? I would I mean, recommend like, that, that book, a, yes. Well, yes, so in the, in the early 90s, there were several uh, books that had come out that were the sort of beginning of an awareness in the church of spiritual abuse. And that was one of those books, and I utilize it at a few points in my own book, um, it has proved to be fruitful uh, over the years. So, yeah, I think that's a good place for you to start if you already have a copy of that. You know, there's a lot of people who are listening right now that, man, this is a new area for them. And I know you say, uh, Mike, that there this this hasn't historically, and when I say historically, I'm thinking broadly about church history, has not been an area, a field of formal research. Do you believe that it's uh, becoming one? It is. Um, in fact, uh, you know, I say in my introduction to the book that I'm certainly not the first to write on this subject, um, and others have done that before and done good jobs of it. And so the, the research is, is starting to come, and some at like a, a, a legitimate academic university level, we, we're seeing real research on this. And I think as the cases multiply, we're going to have more data at our disposal. I mean, one of the reasons it's been difficult to research is because of, uh, first of all, the subjectivity of it. It's hard to quantify, unlike something like sexual abuse. But also, we just don't have any database with, with cases to study. We, there's, no, there's no way to sort of track these things. 
but as time ticks away, I'm confident we'll learn more and more, and, and hopefully my, my book can be one more little piece of the puzzle. Okay, I want to ask a couple of other questions that I think are very important. Let's talk about congregational culpability. Uh, what have we misunderstood, and this is one of the things your book gets at, what have we misunderstood about grace, about reconciliation in the church? Mm, yeah, this is this is a really uh, important category, not just for, uh, of course, spiritual abuse, but for some of the other uh, sexual abuse cases we've been hearing about recently. People uh, rightly value grace in the church because that's at the heart of the gospel, the forgiveness that comes with Christ, but they often confuse grace um, in such a way that they assume that if you show grace to someone, they can go back to the position they were in before, that there's no real um, consequences to their actions or decisions. And there's a misunderstanding here because we, we see in the Bible that you can forgive somebody, that they can be shown grace, that they can be uh, forgiven for what they've done, but at the same time, that doesn't mean they, 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 they belong in a position of authority or in a position of trust. So there is this sense, because of Grace's influence in our church, that we rush people back into positions of leadership. And if you're not willing to do that, then you, the victim, are blamed uh, as being unforgiving. You, the victim, are blamed for being uh, ungracious. And that is that puts a really big burden on the backs of the victims. And I think that's really a misuse of grace. And it's really sad to see that happen in the church. Uh, pastors who are powerful and influential and uh, in particular uh, spiritually uh, abusive uh, have both the platform and the power to retaliate. Um, mm. Retaliation is something that, let's be honest, most churches didn't sign up for. Uh, even where I'm sensitive to uh, board members, you know, most board members don't sign up to be a part of some very divisive fight uh, with a spiritual leader. Uh, but what do we need to know about retaliation? And I would love for you uh, to also speak to um, elders, board members of Christian organizations uh, of what to do when retaliation happens by a spiritual leader. Yeah, so if there's a spiritually abusive pastor, they, they likely are a person that sees themselves as blameless and everyone else is to blame. They think that they're being unduly persecuted and everyone else is the enemy. And so what they t tend to do is if they're confronted about their abusive behavior, they're not going to go quietly into the night. They're going to retaliate against those who've made the accusations. And so sadly, the victims get doubly abused. They're, they're originally abused by the abusive leader, and then when they step forward to bring it to light, they're attacked a second time. And then when the church sides with the abusive leader, it's effectively a, a third layer of attack on them. And so they abusive leaders retaliate in all sorts of ways. They may accuse the person of being slanderous and that they're sinning by slandering them. They may accuse them of being unforgiving. They may dredge up the past sins of the victims. One thing that people need to realize is the victims are sinners too. And so I'm sure they have past sins, and I'm sure the senior pastor might even know about those past sins. And so they would dredge those up and say, hey, they're, they're untrustworthy, they're unreliable. And so in case after case, the victims get drugged through a meat grinder in many of these situations. It's so tragic uh, to watch. And so for elder boards and churches, you need to realize that when someone comes forward, there's got to be a way they can come forward without fear of retaliation and be protected by the church until a real investigation can ensue, and that's often what does not happen. What do you say about, and you alluded to this, about um, real quickly restoration or reconciliation? I, I hear your caution 
but there's also something to be said about the church being a redemptive force. So mm-hmm. uh, uh, what is what is healthy reconciliation and uh, and uh, mediation look like? Yeah. So. What te- tends to happen, unfortunately, is, is, is abusive situations are treated like a conflict. Like it's just two people that can't get along, and we just get them in a room and try to find a way to make them get along. That's the normal way this is handled, and I think that's gravely mistaken. Abuse is not just a conflict. In order for a real reconciliation to happen, there needs to be several things that happen. For one, there needs to be clear transparency and, um, and ownership of the church of what happened. In other words, the church needs to come out plainly and say, this was abuse. This was wrong. These people were wronged by this individual. So there needs to be some sort of uh, definitive, if you will, accounting of what happens. The second thing that needs to be done in for order for real reconciliation to happen is that the abusive leader has to be repentant. They have to acknowledge they did it and, 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 and look to um, turn away from that and, and look to uh, be reconciled to the pre- people they hurt. But here's what happens. In case after case, neither of those two things happen. The church won't admit its abuse. And the, and, the, and the abusive leader is not repentant, but yet they still want reconciliation. And you can see how impossible that's going to be without those two things. And so I bring that up in the book. You've got to have those yes. two things at a minimum for real reconciliation to happen. All right. I was, uh, Mike, a uh, seminary dean for five years. So I have a lot of respect and high regard for seminary life. You're a seminary leader, president. Um, so you do as well. But what culpability do our seminaries carry? and producing mm. pastors who are spiritually abusive, and what do we need to change? Yeah. Well, this is complicated, right, because seminaries um, obviously are training future leaders. Um, seminaries, of course, don't ordain anyone, so we, even if someone gets a degree from a seminary, we don't necessarily say, therefore, they're qualified to be in ministry. But we do have responsibility for at least teaching them uh, the proper way to think about these things. And I think seminaries have a responsibility to rethink their curriculum around these grounds. And yeah. there's a couple ways we need to do that. One basic and obvious way is that we need to make sure there's a place in our curriculum where we talk about spiritual abuse, where it's actually labeled, discussed, and, and, and considered. The other thing I think we need to do, and this is a bigger uh, issue, is I think seminaries need to, to rethink the role there is between the uh, whether people – we tend to think the major qualification for ministers is doctrinal, and I want to suggest that it's also a major qualification is character. And I think we have we have placed doctrine and competency over character in many seminaries in our country, and we need to reverse that. We need to get back to character being a major place, uh, a major factor in whether someone should go into ministry. Let's go to Michelle, who's listening in St. Petersburg, Florida. Michelle, thank you so much for listening to Equip. What's your question for Mike? Thank you. So, um. I grew up in church. Actually, my father was an abusive pastor, uh, left our family. Mm. So I have a tendency to be able to recognize some of the symptoms or signs early on. So, for example, um, I would go to a check out a new church, and if the pastor starts this, I call it manipulation of the congregation, they start the quivery voice and bring on the tears, like, right at 1045, right before the worship team's supposed to come back up. What are some other signs that you could tell new believers who are looking for churches that they should, that are red flags that they could look for? Oh, that's a great question. That's a, that's a really good question. I do cover a number of these in the book. I'll mention a couple of them. Um, one, one red flag I think that you'd want to see is, is the manipulation red flag, which you've hinted at. That's one way they do manipulation. 
another red flag is whether there's any real accountability structure around this leader. Is there anybody that, that looks like they can stand up to him? Uh, a third red flag is if you get a church where everyone seems very afraid of the senior pastor. If there is a, a, a deep fear of the senior pastor that's spread throughout the church, that is very, very concerning. I think another red flag would be defensiveness. Or is the church willing to hear feedback? Are they will, willing to even hear criticism? Or is it every time someone brings up a criticism, it's, it's World War III, you know, that it's, it's silencing and shutting down all dissent? So those are some things that I think one would be very, very keen to look out for as they think about a new church. I'm so sorry, Michelle, that you've gone through that in such a deeply personal way. I'm grateful for you listening and calling in. If you stay on the line, Michelle, we'd love to get you a copy of Michael's book. It sounds like you put it to good use. And, Lord, we do pray for your kindness and your healing and your grace uh, to uh, touch Michelle's life and bring her healing in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, We're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, Michael, I'd love to spend some time talking about maybe some of the way forward. How do we um, work better at helping to produce a culture where pastors are known more for caring well for their churches than uh, anything else? Let's uh, take a break. We'll be right back. But during this break, go to equipradio.org. Get a copy of Bully Pulpit. Much more to come next up on Equip. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. So much more can be said about Michael Kruger's book, Bully Pulpit. We've just really scratched the surface, but I do believe that uh, this book is, is worthy of your attention, friend. So I would highly, highly encourage it. Um, for uh, the pastors that are online, we want to make sure that you know that we appreciate you. We got to as many calls as we could. We couldn't get to all of them. But pastors who are taking this seriously, we want you to know we appreciate you. And for those who have experienced this or are currently going through it, uh, we want you to know that this is why we've done this show today. It's with you in mind, ultimately. Uh, I asked a question. I teased it out before we went to break. Uh, Michael, can you just speak to the solution or what guidance you give by way of a way forward? Yeah, so when I wrote the book, I wanted to make sure I didn't write a book that was just simply highlighting a problem with it without offering any guidance on, on maybe how to address it. So the last chapter is spent addressing the problem as much as possible, and it, admittedly, it's it's only beginning uh, to do it. it the, the, the things I suggest are small steps, but still, I think, important ones. One particular step I recommend is we want to make sure that we do a really good job vetting leaders before we put them in positions of authority. Now, you hinted at this earlier in our conversation, which is, is there anything proactive we can do rather than just reactive? Well, one proactive step is to make sure that we aren't letting abusive leaders into our pulpits in the first place. And this is going to require a a rethinking of the way we do pastoral searches. you know, in years gone by, and even still true today, the average way we assess a person's character in a pastoral search is the two or three references from their best friends, you know. Um, and those yeah. have some value, but I think we also recognize they have very limited value when you get down to the, to the nuts and bolts of it. They don't really tell you what's necessarily going on behind the scenes. So I recommend a number of steps to really go deeper into someone's character before they're put into uh, a position of spiritual authority. Another thing I recommend is that once they get into that position, there needs to be real uh, transparency 
uh, real accountability and real regular public assessment so that there is, uh, you know, annual reviews that are top and all the way around, uh, those below, those above, those beside the senior leader, um, and that those reviews are shared with the leadership board and not hidden away. Um, and then also developing a way to, to deal with abuse cases when they do come forward. So I, I have a number of practical steps in the final chapter. Yeah, I, I would just say uh, Michael's book is, um, man, about as, as as thorough and as practical as they come. Um, Mike, what would you say for churches that are looking to uh, to deal with this now, organizations, about your thoughts of, uh, of agencies that specialize in helping churches and Christian ministries to navigate through the fallout and the devastation of spiritual abuse? Yeah, so one of the things that's become evident in the last five to ten years in the, in the world of sexual abuse is that, you know, most Christian organizations aren't very good at investigating themselves. Um, and that time and time again, when that happens, it, it, it leads to some troubling things. So I recommend, as it pertains to spiritual abuse, that we do what others have suggested, which is that we include and, and, and involve a, a legitimate third-party independent organization to, to investigate. Um, I, in this call, I don't have you know, the opportunity to list out ones I recommend sure, out there. There's sure. a number out there, but, um, but it needs to be genuinely independent. Um, you know, they, they can't answer to the people who I hired them in the sense that the people who are paying the bills get to decide what the results are. Um, it needs to be genuinely independent and third party um, and, and people who know what to look for. Part of the problem in ministry is that a lot of people are well-intended when it comes to abuse. They just don't have the categories to know what to look for. And that's not their fault necessarily. It's not that they're, you know, sinful as a result. It's just sometimes there's this things you don't know. And I think what churches need is a level of humility to say, you know what, we, we may not understand this like we think we do, so let's get some outside help. Pastor Greg gave us a call earlier and uh, said, Greg, I'm getting a copy of this for each member of my team. Bravo mm. to you, Pastor Greg. And obviously, just the tip of the iceberg of the type of feedback that no doubt you've received for this book. Recently released and a must-read for Christian leaders uh, in local churches, regardless of denomination or background, you will be helped by Bully Pulpit confronting the problem of spiritual abuse in the church. Dr. Uh, Michael Kruger is the writer. I love what Karen Swallow Pryor says. Every Christian from pulpit to pew needs to read this wise and timely work. I couldn't agree more. Dr. Kruger, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Chris. As always, good to be with you. Friends, I wish we didn't have to talk about a topic like this, but we do. And because we do, we want to make sure, like in all things, we equip you to more effectively live, share, and defend your faith. If you've been through spiritual abuse, hold on to your faith. Look to Jesus. Trust him as the author and the finisher of your faith and the healer of your heart. He is the Prince of Peace. Um, I can't wait till we're together again next time. Until then, as always, remember, Equip with Chris Brooks is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Hey there, friends, Chris Brooks here. You know, Christmas is a time of remembering how God's love came to us through Jesus Christ. It's also a time for us to share that love with others. 
How does sharing the love of Christ with those in need transform our hearts? We're going to talk to Compassion International about that and so much more. Don't miss the next Equip. Listen live weekdays at 1 Eastern, noon Central on the Moody Radio app or equipradio.org.